Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Eparet Podcast Season Number 8. And right now, it's a very special episode because I'll be interviewing a Global Teacher Prize finalist for 2021 all the way from Australia. Um, just a short background. I think I have uh, I've been in correspondence with Steven because of um, I think that's EduTech or it's a conference and and Steven has been very wonderful uh, co-panelist and moderator in those different uh, instances that I've I've met him. I remember speaking or the discussion was all about AI or something about you know advancing technology and and we hope to hear much about uh, what he's doing right now. Uh, in terms of AI or the new projects that he has, but again, like what I've said, more importantly, he is fresh from becoming a finalist for the Global Teacher Prize uh, for 2021. And let's welcome Stephen Colbert. Um, Stephen, congratulations for being one of the top 50 or 50 best teachers of the world for 2021. Um, what was the feeling? Um, I think honestly, it was shocked. I was just so surprised, um, and yeah, especially uh, as, I, as I was saying just before, it was the most locked down city in the world. Uh, there wasn't a lot of exciting things happening. It was every day, wake up, walk to the computer, uh, teach teach my students. We were only allowed out for like one hour of exercise and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, to get some positive news was like uh, yeah, <laughs> it was wonderful. Definitely. Mm. Um, Stephen teaches in Brunswick Secondary College in Melbourne, Australia. Stephen, why don't you tell uh, us more about yourself? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I've been teaching this. This is my 11th year of teaching. And it's uh, I've always been at the same school, always been trying new things, new programs. Uh, behind me, there's a whole bunch of degrees. I've got everything but a PhD. The, the thing I'm really interested in is uh, re using research to inform our teaching. Um, I give up most of my holidays, to, or I used to before COVID, to fly to Cambodia and to um, train teachers in uh, English or literature, Khmer literature, pedagogy. Uh, and so that's through an organization called Teachers Across Borders Australia, who I'm a secretary of. Uh, and we're currently thinking of how we can, you know, reconsider in a, in a post-COVID world how that might look. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited by technology. I make a lot of YouTube videos. I present on the future of education, AI, instructional video, flip learning. You know, so I'm kind of relatively tech-focused, I guess. But also as a result of that, I'm interested in, I guess, you know, how things could go wrong if we went fully technological. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. But I guess after, you know, before COVID, me and lots of other people were saying technology, online teaching, video, it's all the best. We can do it. Uh, and now, I don't know, for me, it's a different feeling. How do, how do you feel about what, how have your views on technology changed since COVID? Well, I, I still like you. I still advocate for technology. It's I, I think it's a much different story here in the Philippines because uh, it was sort of like, you know, a lot of schools did not want technology. So uh, you would hear a lot of school leaders or teachers would say, you know, you don't, we don't need, we don't need technology to teach. But then when COVID came in, like everyone, everyone was quickly adopting technology tools and making sure that at some point there's access. So you know, 
because of the rapid you know adoption there were a lot of challenges that really came out i mean like you only have two weeks to to make sure that everyone has their own technology and are ready for it uh but yeah um i still advocate i'm still i'm still for it but i think what we've realized is that you know technology can be the answer to everything at some point there are also other special things that we need to consider to also ensure that technology works well mm. in in the classroom or or in in the learning pro and learning and teaching process, but yeah, um, well enough about about that first because I'm so excited to know more about about the things that you're working on. So for our audience right now, please go to to, to uh, on Twitter, search for Stephen Colbert, and you know he said a while ago he likes to talk about research and 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 apply that um i've been following him and reading his tweets about research because that's also something that i'm very interested in all right so steven um what what's a typical day for you right now you've mentioned about being in lockdown in in melbourne since forever <laughs> so so how does how does uh being a teacher look like right now with you well, ha happily, we're back at school, so that's very, very exciting. I can't explain just how how, how much better it was. I mean, for me, online learning was great because I'm always producing videos, and obviously, if you're doing a video conference, you're making a video, so I'd often record and crop out students, edit things, put that all together. Uh, but I'm back at school, so we're... Um, at the moment, I'm, start, I'm starting to teach a subject called English language, which is basically linguistics. So typically I've taught English and history and other things before. Um, but this time around, it's more of a focus on linguistics. And so uh, we're only what, two, two weeks left to go through. This is our third last week here. And so it's kind of I've got the year 10s who are now becoming year 11s and the year 11s who are now year 12s are kind of transitioning into their final years of school. Um, so that's what I'm working on, reading a lot of textbooks and kind of academic articles, not surprisingly, on linguistics to sort of get my head around the content and to explain it to the students in a way that's as relevant as possible. And also the, um, the positive of this, the course that we teach is that you ne always need modern examples. So you need to give examples from that same year. And so uh, embarrassingly, I'm watching a lot of TikToks and <laughs> trying to stay stay relevant with the students so i can give examples of actual language in the you know in the real world that we all live in and so at the moment that's my challenge to kind of link linguistics which is quite an old study to sort of new emerging language features in the world through TikTok and other facebook and you know all those sort of things so that's my fun at the moment and uh yeah it's exciting very interesting <laughs> I, I i can relate with that because I, I i did a training teacher training yesterday and we were doing empathy map and the the part where they have to put the, themselves in the position of the students on what they hear or what they say and then the teachers were like they just simply put jargons from tiktok and i was like what do you mean by that and they were like you know they 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 speak they say a lot of jargons and we don't really understand it we just let them speak but but it's a struggle for them but i like what you've said i think that's a very good recommendation or tip if you want to go with your students go with the flow and understand them you have to go on tiktok and really um really listen to what they're saying there i mean it's not 
it's not you know it's not a good perfectly good place there <laughs> on on TikTok but you'll learn you'll learn much about what they say what they I mean, things that they post online basically mm-hmm. right um um Steven you've been doing a lot I've read your work on universal design mm-hmm. UDL right um can you tell us more about this and why like why should we consider UDL Yeah, sure. So UDL is kind of, uh, to me, when people talk about differentiation or inclusion, it's very easy to um, for to put a large burden on the teacher. So, you know, this student needs their own worksheet, their own this, their own that. A lot of sort of human hours going into different assessments, all those sort of things. Um, and so I think that's probably one space where technology can really help out our students. Um, if you think at least in Australia, like for any anyone who's going to work in construction or, you know, and be an electrician or a plumber, those sort of things, um, and they're maybe not as capable of reading, they'll have their phone read out text messages, they'll have, you know, the phone tell them directions so they don't have to read them on a map, all those sort of things. Um, so to me, it's, I mean, I teach at a secondary school, so we don't have too many students who are, you know, unable to read. But we have a lot of students that struggle for a whole range of reasons. And so to me, accessibility we can do through technology. And most most tech companies, you know, Microsoft, Google will have a basic product that will read read out text and do those sort of things. Um, but for me, it's exploring those those options that are a little bit more, you know, you might have to pay a little bit more extra for them, but that can really cater to what the students need. So Um, for me, like for the last three years or so, I get my phone to read out everything, basically emails, PDFs, Word documents, you know, meeting agendas, all those sort of things that, you know, people like us are constantly bombarded with information. Can you do this? Can you speak here? Can you do all these things? Um, and so to me, I think there's there's a cell there where I could say to teachers, look, you can be more productive with, you know, your work. You can be quicker, speedier, faster, all these things. But also the same approach, the same technology, the same tools you can then provide to your students who struggle with reading or have dyslexia or those sort of challenges. Um, so to me, that's that's pretty exciting. And that's also a big part of the reason that I make videos for my students so they can turn on captions, they can rewind, they can fast forward, they can do all those sort of things. Um, and obviously they can access it at any time. So At the moment, that's probably why I'm so busy because my students are about to go on holiday and rather than just say, here's a pile of paper, you know, that gets lost and then they have to find it a day before it's due the first lesson back and write all over it, um, I can have, you know, here are the videos, here's me teaching the content, here's me explaining it, here's me doing all those things. Um, so that's, yeah, to me that's exciting and that's something that we could do more. Um Obviously, getting as you know, as you would know, getting teachers engaged with technology, even after doing everything that we've done online, is tricky. Um, and so that's you know, that's that's my cell, that's my angle to say this. You can use this personally, but also by doing so, that will inform their understanding of how it could help students. So, yeah, I don't know what what sort of stuff have you done around UDL? I'm sure you've got ideas um, and approaches. I'm not really that expert in UDL. I've read about it. Um, I I actually have a thought or question, mm. and and I well, it's a more of a question. U UDL is basically like I'm not 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it's all about accommodation, accessibility, and 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 making sure that um, at some point um, students get to achieve maybe or reach the learning outcome for example we're talking about learning outcomes one way or another because teacher has uh the teacher has done all possible things right mm. so accommodation accessibility and then of course technology is pretty much a big help in 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 ensuring that this happens because i can't imagine a teacher who does not have much knowledge about technology or skill and doing udl in the classroom i think i mean teachers can but i don't i can't imagine the time the effort uh being you know exerted for this my question is why is this why is udl not you know talked about so much or not being adopted so much or in more schools is it very difficult or or you know what's the challenge behind it I think uh, for me, and this is very much coming from my secondary context, Australia, et cetera, et cetera, um, a lot of teachers are kind of like, I'm an expert in this thing. So they're, you know, they're a history teacher and they teach history. They loved history at university for them. School was easy. They breezed through it and then breeze through university, got top marks or, you know, good marks. And so then when they stand in front of students, it's it's hard for them to relate with the student that's sitting there struggling, doesn't understand their subject, doesn't enjoy the content, is struggling to read or, you know, make time for all the things that they need to do. And so it's easy for teachers to kind of have the, their own lens for how things are. Um, and, you know, that's that was probably true for me too. I did a, a degree in teaching ASD students, so autistic students, um, and as part of that, I went to a lot of special schools. And to me, like if you asked any teacher that you meet in a day, have you ever seen a special school? They would probably say no. Have you ever taught a student who, you know, went to a special school or a developmental school or autism specific school? Um, they wouldn't even know that they existed. And that was partly true of me as well until uh, we went and I had to work in those schools. And it made me realize that there's sort of all of this knowledge in those schools, in those institutions, in the minds of those teachers, in those settings on how to differentiate, how to use UDL. Everything there was um, like from the classroom to the seats, to the chairs, to the pens, everything was designed with the students in mind. And then I would then, you know, after my placement, I go back to my high school and everything was made with, you know, almost with us teachers in mind, like the seats were all the same size. Everything was the same classes started at the same time everyone arrived together in the same clothes in the same everything and it was all just standardized and any student that was slightly different and obviously not not as different as the students in the special school but they were just slightly different you know if you made one small change then that student all of a sudden can do everything that their classmates can do their peers can do um and yeah but just because teachers don't have that experience, they're not familiar with all these things. Um, you know, and for me personally, I've delivered a lot of professional development saying, you know, here's, here's a disorder, here's what the acronym stands for, here's what it means, here's what it is. But you never get from the theory to there's a student in front of me and I can see they're struggling and how can I make changes for them? It's always here's the theory and then we don't have enough time to do the practical and sometimes people might engage with the technology, but they see technology as, you know, 
I feel like you and I are in a similar space, always talking about technology, this technology, that, and looking, people looking at us going, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't have time or it's too complicated or, you know, I don't even know how to work my phone, let alone you know, everything else. Um, but, yeah, so to me, the main challenge is for teachers to be aware of the problems, be aware of what's possible, and be aware that there's people out there who have expertise in these things that they can bring it in. And that's true for me too. I'm sure if you ask me this, this same question ten, in 10 years' time, I'd have a different answer and different ideas and different approaches. But, yeah, it's it's difficult for sure. Yeah, yeah. and for some regular school, you know, I was trying to, to think about your answer while you were answering. Um, something that really came into my mind was that, you know, a school, oh, well, a lot of schools have really that nap off how do you call it that standardizing everything right i think <laughs> that, that has been a question before standardized test standardized this or whatever even before the pandemic way way long but it's really difficult right to remove those kinds of things and and because teachers were also taught in a very standardized manner Mm. right it's as if all teachers who undergo teacher education institution they come out with the same philosophy the same because that's how they were uh, they were taught before i feel like that's always the challenge because mm. the teachers usually apply what they have been taught before in in their classes with you know gen z generation alpha students who clearly belong to a different uh generation and context but to be honest, I don't know much about UDL yet. Um, I might, I, I have read about it, but it's been very, very difficult also, especially because, you know, sometimes schools have different trusts or, or you know, specific targets or goals. Uh, but I did appreciate it when, when, when we always think about differentiated instruction, differentiation in the learning. And of course, right now, because technology is in there, when we speak about assessment, for example, demonstration of mastery, at some point, ODL or UDL, UDL comes in like tidbits, principles, ideas. Yeah. So, um, from UDL, I know that you speak a lot about AI and technology right now. We're living in a world where technology or the digital aspect of living has really gone um, in a very, very rapid manner of adoption, not just in education, but in commerce, for example. Um, what's, what's the future of AI in, in education? Or how is AI doing in education right now? Um, yeah, oof, tough question. Um, I think basically, uh, for me, I, I spend a lot of time talking to academics about AI and this and that. Um, there's, for me, I always feel like I'm in a in a different setting. In a school, I kind of, I so when I'm talking to academics, uh, quite often, they'll make it sound very serious and, you know, everyone thinks, well, Terminator this and AI will take over the world and all that sort of stuff. And many of the academics do that as well because that's the easiest way to say, listen to my research, AI is dangerous, and now I have a paper that you should read kind of thing. Um, but for me, you know, high school, uh, it's, it's a long, long, long way off. And, you know, I feel like Australia is sort of probably in, in the cutting edge, leading edge, besides maybe China in AI integration and all those sort of things. But the, the difficulty is there's a lot of people working in AI who don't know much about schools, and there's a lot of people in schools who don't know much about AI. 
And so there's very little connection between the two. So I've had a lot of conversations with people about, oh, you know, AI can do this, can do that. Um, but until they fully understand the problems that we have in schools, it's like a, a puzzle piece that doesn't fit. It's not quite making, making it work. So for uh, a good example in Australia is there was a company that won a grant for half a million dollars or more. That doesn't sound like that much. Uh, but their technology was to uh, a camera that would mark the role for the teacher. And so, you know, it would take a picture and recognize AI would go, okay, that's the same face, different hat, whatever. The students are here. Um, but for anyone who's a teacher, you would know marking the role, you know, even if you read out the names, it takes the two minutes tops. If you don't, you just, for me, I check my phone. I look at the kids. Yep. They're all here. Tick, 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 tick. Takes 30 seconds. And it's something very human. I say, you know, oh, you know, your hair's different. You're looking good. You didn't have much sleep last night. You know, you can tell these sort of things from marking the role. So I've never thought, oh, we need to work out a way to get rid of marking the role, right? But the AI people, the people working in that space are like, this is a great use of technology. We can use this technology for this. But us in schools, we say that's not that's not a problem. We don't, <laughs> we don't care about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that could be done with, you know, I think the, the next, the cutting edge next step would be natural language processing. So, like, students would hand in an essay and it would be able to mark it, give it a score, give some feedback, all those sort of things. Um, but to me, where it gets interesting is, to me, that's a challenge to teacher professionalism, which is, of course, as I'm sure you are as well, something we value highly. Uh, teachers are very important. There's a lot of ways we could improve education by going past teachers or around teachers, and AI could be one of those. You could, you know, have a, a teacher robot AI with, you know, doing all those things. But is that the education we want for our students? Probably not. I'd rather not um, have my children taught by a, an artificial intelligence robot or computers or something like that without the human element. Um, but so what interests me the most is that's, that is a risk. Like, you know, well, I could, we could probably get on a plane now and fly to some country, some African nations where there are tech companies sort of dabbling in those ideas. Um, there's a lot of African countries where the teacher isn't a teacher, but just a person with an iPad reading out a script. And, you know, to me, that's, that's not what you want because while the students might be learning, the person in front of the room isn't learning. And so you take that piece out of it. It's a big impact on kind of, the knowledge economy of the country, of the school, of the world. Um, yeah, so to be honest, most of the time I spend talking about AI, I spend talking to uh, unions or people or technology companies saying it's going to change the world and uh, being the one to sort of say, oh, not so fast, <laughs> maybe not. Um, yeah, so I know from, from the panel we spoke on, you're in a sort of similar similar viewpoint right it's kind of like human first go out and see the world as much as you can rather than you know sit, spend too long in front of a computer if possible or at least balance right i don't know what do you think well two things that really i, I got from what you say number one i i love that you emphasize that you know and it's not just ai it's mostly a lot of tech companies and when they go to school and what really irritates me is that hey here's our solution 
that sometimes that's the way they introduce their product or themselves and i was like well in the first place and sometimes that irritates me so i put on a very you know very formal facade and i would tell them well in the first place do you know our problem yeah. So you're here telling us that here's the solution, but do you really know our problem? I think that's one main concern. And like what you've said, when I speak to even like, for example, in a panel, for example, in tech, and you know, the, the panel is sponsored by a tech company or whatever. And then you get there. And sometimes I, it's not a cringy feeling. It's sort of sometimes like you, the feeling that this guy's, have a lot of technology, wonderful technology with them. But sometimes it it I, I'm tempted to say that maybe like what you've said, maybe you need to understand more the concerns of the school so that you can target, you know, you'll have a better target. <laughs> you can aim better uh with those kinds of, of problems. But I love your point about maybe there should be an intersection, a dialogue between tech companies and 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 maybe teachers. I think I love what you said about the kind of education. Maybe that's a great reflection point. What kind of education do we want in the future where AI and other te advanced technology are involved or are in deeply integrated? Is it a kind of education where there's no teacher or there's uh teacher still there, the human the human teacher, but what 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 is a teacher doing there? That that I I'm, I'm I I've heard a lot of you know futurist uh, educational uh, educators are talking about it, and I, it's always interesting when we try to imagine a future where the teacher is still relevant, but you have this advanced technologies. I don't know, but it's very interesting. I am like what you've said. I am in that position where I can't imagine AI because the people that i spoke with or that i yeah that i've spoken with about ai they don't sound scary but it's not just within the context that i'm working in i don't know if i'm making sense it's like it's like it's it's really out there it's really very futurist but so most of the time, the concern in my school, for example, or in other school, is solving the current problem that we have. Sometimes it's too, like what you've said, maybe you need to take a pause, hold on for a while, not yet. Uh, but I love, I love your thought about about AI. What are some, what are some current AI applications that you have? seen in terms of education right now, especially because technology has been very you know it's deeply integrated now because of remote learning are there any ai stuff that you have you know explored or maybe known to have helped much i've heard a lot about um like the obvious examples would be things like turn it in which is you know you students putting their essays at university and it so sort of says you know how how accurate how much you've copied how much is similar how much all that sort of stuff um, but i think what we're seeing more and more is that that was kind of phase i don't know about phase one but that was an earlier phase of ai and now we're looking at sort of the other the other side of things so, so a company like turnitin has thousands of essays on every topic you could ever do at university maybe some in sort of secondary settings as well and so now it's looking at kind of the other side of that so 
we have all this information. This is what a good essay looks like. This one gives you 100%. This one gives you 90 This one gives you 80 So it's finding a way to kind of communicate that information back to students because, you know, I'm an English teacher. I've probably read, you know, 20,000 essays in my life, but Turnitin has, you know, millions of essays. So it's way ahead of me. And so it could probably teach me a thing or two about what makes a good essay and what makes, you know, a really, really high scoring response possible. Um, in fact, like this year, I've had students submitting work that they had a computer write for them. And at the moment, you can tell that it's, uh, there's something not quite right. But if they do, do, did it properly, as we were doing it together, um, they could submit essays and with a bit of editing, because uh, it tends to be a little bit redundant and it'll spit out the same sentences or sentences that don't connect and all those sort of things. Um, I think it's very possible to to do that, to churn out essays and to make them quite believable. And some of the students receive quite high scores. Like, thankfully, they said to me, this is written by AI, I didn't write it. I gave it this much that I started my essay and then I stopped and said to the AI, finish this off. Um, but they're receiving quite high scores. Um, with that in mind, I guess, to me, it takes takes it back to the bigger question of education, which is if, if all that we're doing at the end of school is, you know, collecting a pile of papers and they're all handwritten and they're essays and they're done in exams or they're multiple choice tests, maybe that's not exactly what we need to be focusing on because that's, you know, and people, you know, the, the lazy example is, well, we don't need to know things because you can Google it and all those sort of things. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying, but... A, a written essay, a very narrow structure within very narrow time limit. It's something that you can do without a human brain. It's possible. If you give it enough input, it's possible. Um, and so to me, it has to become something that's, you know, spoken, like what we're doing now. I can talk, 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 talk. And then if you ask me a question, if I don't actually know my stuff, then all of a sudden I'm stumped and I'm thinking, oh, I memorized the thing I had to say, and then a question was asked, now can I adapt? Um, and to me, that's that's probably where we need to head in terms of assessment to make it a real-world thing, a conversation with the actual person there. Um, I heard a really good example of a person running an economics course, and so they, they have a class of 500 students in a big lecture hall, and that's set up like a flipped classroom approach and with like basically a, a bot so you could say a question you know uh on exercise 2.1 i'm stuck here's the answer i've got what am i doing wrong and the ai would basically either say here's how you you know here's what you're thinking and here's how you are thinking incorrectly and here's what you need to do and then deliver you a video or a piece of content from the course that's relevant to that thing so like to me that's I don't even know if we need to have classrooms of 500 people in a university, but if we do, that's a useful use of AI to kind of, um, and I think they were saying basically like 95% of questions that people were asking were the kind of things that it was like, you know, click this link and you can work it out. And if you've ever had to apply for a university multiple times, there's so many things that are complicated and unclear and you, you end up going to see a person and they basically say, oh, you just, it was over here, you missed it, or whatever. So if you could get an AI chatbot to cut out 95% of those questions that are easy to answer by saying, here's a video, click this link, you know, you're mistyping your password, whatever those basic things are, I think that would be really good. And especially, 
if you think of teaching online, there's so many questions that your students ask, you know, what are we doing? Uh, where's the work? You know, simple questions like that. If you had a chatbot that was actually doing its job well, it, you wouldn't have to sit there and say, <laughs> scroll up, it's right <laughs> above this post or whatever, you know? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities. I don't know. I, for me personally, I think of the amount of time that I spend typing numbers into like a, a spreadsheet or um, all those kind of data entry basic things that should be automatic, but um, because the technology isn't quite there or it probably is, honestly. But as we said before, the technology providers don't know my problem, so they don't have the solution to my problem. They've got a solution to a problem that doesn't exist or that isn't relevant to me. So I think um, there's definitely a few, I, I can see a future where technology and AI specifically will sort of support me as a teacher to kind of minimize some of those things that, you know, I've studied for 11 years to teach a whole range of things in a, you know, well, um, but I spent most of my time, you know, typing into a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet and doing things that um, someone without, you know, the 11 years of training could do. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's that's what I see as AI doing, taking out some of the low-level things to make our jobs easier. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you. If, if that's how we really see a part of AI helping us, I mean, like, it could make a lot of the job of the teacher easier so that we can, you know, like what we've always said, focus on more important tasks mm -hmm. or teacher, you know, teacher tasks that we need to, to do. And there are a lot, there are a lot of more important teacher tasks aside from checking of attendance or answering questions that you have already, that we have already told or answered a minute ago to another student. Yeah. And, and, you know, my reflection right now is that if AI could help students write an essay or make their lives easier, I think that's also the same thing with, with the life of a teacher. But like what you've said a while ago, what what kind of what kind of teacher do we want in the future? What kind of student do we ha do we want in the future? Where you know AI has been really there, deeply integrated, deeply embedded, and and I think that that pushes us to us to ask more essential questions like what what really matters in education when there are stuff that make things easier or uh, do stuff. Do the things that we were doing before, like what you've said, learning for 11 years. I mean, like, you know, undergoing that that process. While it's very, very helpful right now, because there's no such technology yet that could help us. But what if there, there, there were already a technology that could help us learn those things in the future? So, yeah, I love your thoughts about AI. And, and I hope you continue bridging education and the AI people because there should be a bridge and a conversation to make sure that you know everything is is aligned um yeah Stephen you are a global teacher prize finalist and we we know that you are part of that inspiring community it's always uh, all global teacher prize finalists that's one way or another uh, has that inspiring story. My last question, Stephen, because we're now on the last part, is that despite all the things that you're doing, the job, uh, the job that you're fulfilling, the extra projects that you have, also being a father, right? Um, where do you draw inspiration? Like, what sustains you? What keeps you going? Going? 
Um, for me, it's easy. The thing that keeps me going is learning new things and sharing those with people. So um, I'll always be a teacher of something to someone. Um, so, But it's always in that order. I wake up, I learn something new, and I go, oh, that's really interesting. And then the job of a teacher is to think, how can I make what's interesting to me interesting to other people? And um, obviously working with young people uh, is inspiring just because they're, they're energetic, they've got new ideas, they're out there exploring the world in a different ways than than I did when I was a young person reading books and writing and now they've got way more options than me but it's always learning new things and sharing that with people in a way that makes it interesting to them is always the goal yeah I love it perfect way to end it and and as you were saying that I sort of remembered my epistemology professor and what she was very influential and I've never forgotten her parting words to us it's always wake up with a sense of awe and curiosity every day and that will keep you learning and learning every day so perfect way to end it Stephen. thank you so much for being here and it's such an honor to have you in our uh podcast and yeah thank you to our audience right now and we hope to see you in our next episode please stay safe and stay well and healthy thank you everyone thank you Stephen. thank you bye, -bye.